Hello and welcome to Elfpark Radio. We are back. It's me, uh, Jesper. And me, Frederick. And we are talking about the second half of uh, a Fortress of Grey Ice. I almost used the wrong color there because I, <laughs> I honestly have a hard time so uh, differentiating between the different shades of ice that are being used here. So many colors of ice. But yes, so we're talking about a Fortress of Grey Ice, the, 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 the uh, yeah, from, from the midpoint till the conclusion, basically. And do you have anything you want to say before we start, Fred? Uh, yeah, no, we're, we're picking up from uh, chapter 22, treason, basically, up until the, uh, the, the grand finale of the book. Yeah, I'm, and I, I guess think we, um, we don't need to talk about the author. I don't think we need to do a recap because you, know, you can just go no, listen to the previous one. I don't think so. I guess uh, just a general trigger warning for sensitive listeners, since this is grimdark. There is murder. There's very there are very annoying characters with very antiquated <laughs> points of view i don't think yeah. there's any sexual assault in this second half of the book but no some pretty you know bad things happening to a young child but um I, there, there's I, lots of I murder. guess that's the word yeah yeah murder all around so if you're not yeah. comfortable with murder maybe <laughs> stop listening maybe listen to our episode on a wizard of earthy the first episode which mm-hmm. i think we did rather well for our first attempt <laughs> anyway I'll listen to that instead yeah all right um but let's get into part two so mm-hmm. angus is back finally in chapter 22 treason uh he shows up while reina blackhale is worrying about the fact that effie doesn't seem to have arrived at clan dreg because she hasn't received word and you know maybe sending off a hunted child with two randos in a in a wagon wasn't the best <laughs> idea uh but angus is is here for some real talk actually and he uh, takes Raina on a tour and he shows her how Black Hale is being stuck dry by those pesky scarps while the true clan members are being crammed into a stinky refugee camp beneath the clan hold. He also not so subtly tells her what we all kind of knew from the beginning. Uh, Mace had Shore Grimalin killed. And she says, no, that's impossible. It was a blood cowman. And Angus just looks straight into the camera, you know, office style before turning back to her and asking, are you sure, though? <laughs> uh, Angus uh, is then run off by Mace, who doesn't really like him hanging around spreading dissent. But the seed has been planted and Reyna goes on to begin plotting a coup with the help of rich boomer Orwin Shank and clan cook Anwen Bird. Meanwhile, Rafe, who uh, still seems to be hogging most of the chapters in this book, uh, has just completed his first raid as a maimed man. While there was a lot of angst involved, he did make friends along the way with all the ex-clan members. There's also a strange foreign mage who seems very interested in him and his role as Watcher of the Dead. Intrigue incoming. And while all this is going down, Effie, uh, who is still alive and is still in the wagon, is reflecting how much she likes, you know, living in what amounts to, you know, the trunk of a car, basically. It's nice and it's dark and it's sheltered. And the wagon doesn't really seem to be going anywhere. She feels like they're driving around without any destination in mind. And, oh, it's full of gold. 
Cluis, one of her new dads, is a stand-up guy, however, and she forms a bond with him, which, you know, is a dead giveaway that he does not have long to live. Meanwhile, her other dad, the, the grumpy one, is jerking off behind a rock. So that's a neat little detail. But yeah, so this gold in the wagon is revealed to come from a Black Hail mine, which previously has only given them silver. And this is actually coincidentally the target of the next raid by the maimed men. Uh, Rafe, knowing the lay of the land, is pressured into tagging along by Tragus Mole, the, the, the Vito Corleone of this group of misfits. And he's not, Rafe is not so enthusiastic about raiding his own clan hold, but he has a little choice. And he also, while talking to Tragus, spies this mural, which appears to be of Sol origin, and it depicts a very bendy river, and that's going to be important later. Back in Spire Vanis, uh, Panthero is rapidly being outmaneuvered by a surprisingly Machiavellian knife. He's uh, the knife that is, he's married into a wealthy noble family, and soon he won't need Panthero anymore, uh, it seems. So Panthero is very relieved to send Knifey and the army they've assembled north to the clan holds, hoping that he's going to die along the way. Angus uh, has somehow gotten wind of this army coming up, and uh, he reports this to a, a very melancholy dog lord who's kind of having a sort of uh, late life crisis. And uh, the Dog Lord is pretty worried about this development, uh, what with having made an enemy of every clan and uh, having a bunch of big, muscly babies with daddy issues for sons. Um, and, you know, not too long after that, his fears are justified as his uh, oldest son mutinies and takes most of the Dog Lord's forces to go fight the armies of Spire Vanis. Uh, so he's left without any protection, really. So he sends a messenger to old, reliable dry bread, uh, but this messenger is then intercepted by Dunesmen who decide it's a good time to take back their clan hold. These same Dunesmen have also just ruined Effie's sweet setup by raiding the wagon she was traveling in. She narrowly escapes, but her companions go down fighting. So she goes on the run, and while on the run, she spots the approaching army of Spire Vanis and is then subsequently grabbed by someone who seems to know exactly who she is. Who could it be? Speaking of last stands, Ash's journey through the second half of the book is basically more of the same. It's a lot of writing. Uh, she learns wow. of this big evil Mayrath called the Shatan, Shaitan Mayor. I don't know how to pronounce it. It's basically yeah, like the, yeah. the, the big, big bad version of the shadow creatures they've been fighting. It's the yeah. bringer of the apocalypse and it's clawing its way out of the ground as we speak. Uh, then one of the lesser Mayras finally catches up with them and wounds Ark in an ensuing fight and Ash uh, feels guilty about not having helped them when this happened but she gets another chance when a few days later the group is pursued by uh, shadow dogs so unmade dogs dogs that have been killed by these shadow things and then gotten reanimated so the soul try to hold them off and Ash joins in this time and she puts her chain sickle thing to good use and Ark manages to tell her how proud he is before getting fatally chomped on by a shadow dog, and he dies. Another person who dies in this half is Panthero, actually, who gets impaled on a walking stick when uh, yes. big boy Crope busts his master out of ice jail. So good riddance to Panthero. And meanwhile, Rafe's raid on the mine goes smoothly until he ends up killing Biddy Shank, uh, an old friend of his from Black Hill. And he gets messed up pretty bad, like mentally, uh, by doing this. So he runs off into the want, driven not just by guilt, 
like by instinct. He's supposed to be there. Um, and he follows an old dried up riverbed and realizes it's the same one as on the mural. It's the same bendy riverbed. So he's on the right track to the fortress of gray ice, which is what he's been sort of uh, subconsciously, I guess, seeking out this whole time. And the closer he gets, the more the ground quakes because the Shatan mayor is waking up and he's cranky. He's really cranky and he finds where he finds the fortress, which then it's basically this big old mountain covered in ice. And Ray finally gets to use that silver arrow that he got, the divining rod, uh, and he uses it to open the gates because he basically shoots it up into the air and then the gates open because the mountain's like, oh, that's, that's the key. <laughs> yeah. um, so the mountain opens up like, a, like one of those Ikea lamps, basically is how I envisioned it, <laughs> you know, the Death Star lamps. And then Rafe oh, enters yeah. the fortress and he faces off with the Shatan sh 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 Mare? Shatan Mare. Shatan Mare, yeah. And he heart kills it after a uh, brief struggle. And then yeah. he walks out of the crumbling fortress in slow motion. <laughs> and then the book ends with Angus uh, buying flowers for his wife uh, on his way home to visit them. But then he gets there and he sees the smoldering remains of his house and he mm. realizes that he done fucked up. Yep. And that's uh, the second half of A Fortress of Grey Ice. There you go. Nicely summarized. Thank you Thank for you. that. I guess, yeah, I guess we should mention that in Ark's, Ark's sort of final moments, he uh, kind of pulls up the, pulls off the, the linchpin, I think it's called, of the bridge that they were on, so that he can float away to, to safety. Oh yeah, he does. He does a very heroic last stand, and then um, yes, she drifts down the river to the sound of Mal Naysayer crying in anguish as he slits his Hass's throat. <laughs> yeah, very very that's, dramatic. That's scene. how the because that's how the soul do. <laughs> yeah, they do like slitting open. Oh yeah, their extremities. Big time, yeah. Mm. So, what did you think of the second installment in the series? General impressions, I would say. I mean, you know, it's it's good stuff, and I'm enjoying it. But it did feel some of it felt a little bit abrupt. The final fight with the uh, with the Shatten Shattenmere. That, but also, but also the whole croak thing, just like. He just busts in, and then Pantero, who's been this, you know, bad, oogie-boogie, scary, very competent guy, just gets killed by having a walking stick thrown at him. But the walking stick was thrown by a very big, strong, half-time yeah, man. I, I definitely buy it, but it, it, it was, um, yeah, it surprised me with how, just, okay, he's dead now, okay, yeah, sure, fine. I, I would assume that we get, like, a chapter in the next book kind of from his POV as, as he's dying, maybe, or oh. um, uh, something. Be. Like, I don't think this is sort of the last that we have seen of him. And I don't yeah. necessarily think he's going to make it, but I do think there's going to be some kind of, you know, development with regards to exactly how he goes. And honestly, I... Because in the last, uh, when we, in our episode on um, A Cavern of Black Ice, we were both kind of, you know, talking about how Panthero is sort of, sort of a pathetic 
villain, really, because he's he's one of those yeah. uh, he's one of those villains who thinks he's all that and he thinks he's super smart and super capable, mm. but mm. Uh, he he he's not as he's not as smart as he thinks he is, and he's not as powerful as he thinks he is, which we see in yeah. this book now with uh, with uh, Mister Knife being all manipulative oh, yeah. and Panthera just not seeing it coming <laughs> at all. Yeah. Although I guess it's kind of it's kind of shown to us as you know the knife has been observing Panthero and has sort of you know learned his craftiness through kind of staying close to Panthero and seeing his kind of plans and schemes coming to fruition. Yeah, but like if you can learn the 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 Machiavellian ways of Spirevanus in an afternoon, you know, like maybe Panthero <laughs> wasn't you know as as crafty yeah. as he thought he was, you know. I, I think because. Most of what we see of Marifis I has been shown to us from Panthero's point of view, right? That's when we get actual character development for the knife. And mm-hmm. I think Panthero has been continuously, you know, underestimating the oh, yeah. the, the knife. And that's that's what, what we get there, you know, like he sees him as this kind of common thug. Mm. But we never get to see Marifus's point of view. No, true. Which is odd because I've understood you, but the way I've read it, Panthero also has fairly humble origins. Managed to kind of work his way yeah, up. Yeah, he was and, like a farmer's know. son. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he should have seen it coming. Yeah, you'd think so. I guess he right? kind of does, he does see it coming, but, you know, the knife manages to still be couple of steps ahead of him somehow yeah that's true yeah he does he does acknowledge that he's a threat right but i think he's yeah. so focused on the uh on the nobles and stuff that mm-hmm. he doesn't really yeah but i mean that just makes him even even less competent really which yeah yeah true but yeah the final uh showdown with the Shatan mayor which was foreshadowed so heavily and just built up like crazy that was uh very short and abrupt. I was like, what? He just, they, they, it, I think he like hits it once and then it hits him once and then he like gets around behind it and just does a little stabby stab into the heart. Yeah, a little heart stab, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it was very, it was a very kind of, it was almost like a dream sequence the way that they, mm-hmm. they fought. It was all, because there's like, obviously that it's some kind of, formless bestial shadow creature but she never really mm. talks about what it actually is it's just it made me think of the 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 thing from from earthsea really uh the, mm. this kind of un, undefined monstrous black thing and then yeah like you said they had this this very kind of weird struggle where they they mm. knock each other around a bit and yeah. then rafe just stabs him in the heart and this is like the big bad. Like this is the one that the like because the soul that are traveling with Ash are having a hard time with the regular ones, right? And yeah, once exactly. Ark gets uh, slashed in the arm, it's like this huge deal because his arm is like slowly being poisoned or whatever. Yeah. But now Rafe has been like, you know, nibbled on and spat on and like grilled on by, this, by yeah. this weird shadow thing, and it doesn't seem to like be a big deal maybe rape is like maybe we'll demi-human or something like a demigod maybe. or whatever 
Maybe maybe we'll see more of that in the next book. Maybe it's got something to do with the fact that he's Watcher of the Dead, and so I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Could he's be. immune to shadow flesh or some shit like that. But um, yeah, right. Maybe maybe it's uh, yeah. Maybe it's too early to to really pass judgment. But the the fight itself yeah. was a bit was a bit disappointing because it felt like it was all yeah was all over in a flash and bit perfunctory just sort of like yeah blah, blah, blah. now he's yeah i think this kind of illustrates what i was talking about last time about how his heart kill skill when it's applied to a sword becomes like it's not very interesting like there's something about somebody who's able to like you know seek out a heart and always get a heart kill when he's shooting with a bow and arrow that's kind of cool because he's like mm. a super sniper but when it's with his sword it, it just kind of like it's just two guys hitting each other and then after ah, nah, got your heart <laughs> yeah stabby stab done okay hi, got, yeah yeah you're dead <laughs> yeah i i was kind of i'm i'm not as arrogant as to you know tell davy jones how to you oh, know, no, do no. her job me neither. uh i i think i would have preferred to see like a really tense kind of like that he would like maybe the divining rod doubled as both a key and a a Mm. Or I guess I guess all of the shadow things can be killed with like um, with like with like normal weapons because that seems to be the case as long as you stab them right. But um, yeah. then then I would have liked to see like Rafe maybe maybe he tries to shoot the thing and he he uses up all of his arrows and then he has to kind of like figure out a way to get to one of the arrows that he shot while fighting off the face. Yeah. So he can finally shoot it one last time. And there's this super mm-hmm. tense moment where he finally grabs an arrow and he manages to hard kill him at the last second. I don't know, something like that. Something that yeah. actually, you know, plays to Rafe's strengths rather than, you know. Yeah, make it, make it a little bit more tense, a little bit more like, you know, will he, won't he? Maybe it looks like it's going to escape, you know, that kind of, you know. Yeah. Could have been made a little bit more tense. Yeah, because this was this thing I was feel. built up as being like this like really big deal, but he's gone and like supposed page. to be a, a, a step down from an end lord. Like if this thing breaks out, it's gonna like rip a huge seam into the shadow realm. <laughs> I mean, which I guess it did because it did come out. <clears throat> yeah, but now it can't kill anyone because it's because it got killed. It's so. dead. Yeah. But yeah, maybe we, we maybe oh, well. we see maybe we see more. Maybe there are more more things like this that are that are coming, and then yeah, it'll uh, be um, interesting to see what happens in the next book. Yeah, but overall, I mean, you know, it, it's still a very interesting and compelling story. I don't know about you, but for some reason, when when like imagining these last few chapters with Rafe, I. I saw him with like this crazy '80s mullet. Why? I don't know. It just seemed like you know something that that some you know uh, nasty ass uh, raiders living in living in a canyon. You know they they'd have like mullets oh, yeah. for some reason. Like that's how I imagine it. Like you don't want hair in your eyes, so you you cut that away. Uh-huh. But but you don't care about what's what's behind. Maybe it's even nice to have like a bit of mm-hmm. you know hair covering the back of your neck where the, <laughs> with the cold wind and everything. And then I saw this uh, like uh. Rafe being is this kind of eighties movie hero with with a mullet marching out into the <laughs> Arctic tundra to fight these shadows. Yeah, well, by that. Yeah. So uh, this is canon now. Rafe has a mullet. Um, yeah. 
let's just let's just say that Rafe has a mullet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's, he's the kind of guy who might think that a mullet is cool. Yeah, probably. To all mullet rockers, wearers out there, we respect your choice. You do you, man. You do you. You do you. I will say Ash's character development was interesting here. I mean, I guess we've seen this trope before of the sort of slightly dainty damsel character who has some sort of power and then ends up becoming kind of badass. Yeah, but I was it's, kind of... It's yeah. still nice to see. Yeah, when she kind of stops, uh, I, I guess she kind of conquers her fear and all that at the end, but mm-hmm. I honestly felt like her chapters in this book were, 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 were the weaker point of the mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, because, okay. I mean, I get that they have a long way to go, but it was a lot of, you know, riding along <laughs> and her kind of thinking, like, oh, these guys are nice. I like I like these guys better than my weird, creepy stepdad, uh, so mm. that she could then be sad when one of them dies, right? Mm. It's cool that she's learning to become more self-sufficient and, and confident in herself, and that she's mm. learning what it means to be soul. But I feel yeah. like the chapters themselves could have been more, I guess, nuanced. Because I felt like all yeah. of Ash's chapters were these kind of travel montage interludes in a story where the, the plot was actually mm. moving forward. Yeah, I imagine in the next book, that's her part of the story is going to become a lot more interesting. Hopefully, we'll maybe even get to spend a little more time with her. Because this book was a bit more of Rafe's book. Next book might be more of Ash's book. Because, I mean, this is her now traveling on her own into soul territory. Yeah, and I imagine she's going to have a bit of trouble, like, integrating into whatever soul society she ends up finding, if she even finds them. Exactly. I'm not even sure. I mean, she and Rafe have to make their way back to each other at some point, right? Yeah, probably. It does feel like we're building up to that. But we'll see. But yeah, I mean, I, I really like the soul. Yeah, the soul as a cool. sort of um, yeah, as a fantasy race and the sort of culture they have, I'm I'm quite enjoying that. I like this idea of a fantasy race not having to be like you know, green with pointy ears. It's just like <laughs> no, it's, it's kind of like the, you know, the Neanderthals versus Homo sapiens. You know, they they're just like, very very blue eyed and standoffish and riddled with self-inflicted scars yeah i think i think they were supposed to have sort of you know, sharper harder planes on their sort of faces and stuff as it's like the bone structure is a little bit different but yeah they still look pretty human like visually i imagine them as some sort of hybrid between like mongols and inuits sort of like this kind of siberian step kind of people here's a little asmr for whiskey lovers (laughs) (laughs) right sorry yeah exactly Um, yeah kind of mongolian yeah yeah that type of thing yeah so email us if you want us to convert this podcast into a alcoholic (laughs) beverage asmr project (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but yeah yeah something like that and, and they actually addressed an issue that I've been grappling with for a while, which is 
you know, how, how is it that these people, which are, they're so uh, competent, like martially speaking, and they are technologically advanced relatives yeah. like the clans, and they also have magic. How are yeah. they, you know, so marginal in this world like how they've been pushed back so far after owning the entire continent and that's a question mm. that ash asks in this book and um the answer would seem to be that because they are destined to fight the end lords and that they're like the ones who've been pulling most of the weight there that they've been successively yeah. decimated over the course of the centuries mm-hmm. and that's why they have been losing territory to humanity yeah i thought that was a pretty neat explanation it kind of makes makes sense but it does make you think like because because these end lords show up every thousand years right or something like mm-hmm. that and what yeah. are what are all the people doing if the cell are busy fighting them like is it just that they only appear in a limited geographical area the cell killed them all before they move down to human lands or i guess so I'm kind of reading this as like, you know, the, the soul used to be this grand proud race. And so they were able to kind of fight back the end lords fairly successfully without other, you know, normal human beings getting too involved. But now with the soul having been so pushed back so far and become so marginalized, uh, it might not be possible for the rest of humanity to avoid getting sucked into the, the battle with the end lords. Kind of, right. Kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see that because they they also mentioned the um, the ones who came before the soul. The, I think they call them the mm-hmm. old ones. So like there yeah. was a there was a pre-soul civilization that basically yeah. held the same territory that they did, but eventually That's right. they were worn down by by the end lords, and then the soul came from across the sea and they took over, and then they were worn they down by the end lords. Yeah. So it's kind so of like this time. Tolkien-esque kind of demographic yeah. shift from. Mm. Uh, yeah, what what I guess in Tolkien's world, it's elves being replaced by humans, and here it's soul yeah. being replaced by humans as mm. as evil keeps calling at the door like a persistent bow. Yeah, which uh, yeah, I, and I uh, I think that's a pretty neat sort of mythology or whatever to sort of create around the end lords and sort of explains a lot about the soul and their culture and their current situation in the world. Yeah, and it's, I, I feel like it's a theme that's mirrored in the clan storyline as well, because in the clan storyline, we're seeing how all these old clan chiefs like Velo Blood and the, the mm-hmm. oral chief, the ancient one, the, mm-hmm. um, the Castle Milk uh, chief, um, Tem, obviously, uh, no, not Tem, uh, Dagro of Black mm-hmm. Hill, like all these old chiefs are sort of being... Uh, usurped and killed and phased out and these new upstart chiefs are coming in to take their place and with them come new webs of allegiances and new new ways and new kind of traditions so that's like a microcosm of this larger civilizational phasing out that's happening yeah yeah, it feels like she's really got everything kind of figured out. She has a very clear idea of these different sort of groups and how they interrelate with each other. And she's capable of, you know, weaving this whole sort of layer of 
kind of politics and intrigue over everything in a very competent manner. I don't know if I don't know much about her as an author. I don't know if she's a plotter or a pantser. I get the feeling that she's more of a plotter. Like she sort of spends a lot of time planning her stories before she sits down to write them. I always wonder if we kind of read into these things more than is actually, <laughs> you know, um, necessary. Like, do, do authors <laughs> actually sit down and plan out all these things or do they just have a character that speaks to them, they write the journey of that character and then they kind of fill in the blanks around him or her or, yeah. I think some authors do and then some authors spend an awful lot of time thinking about shit and kind of planning everything out. Yeah, and then they end up. I think it varies. Yeah, yeah. True. Either way, we know it, we know it, that George and Patrick Rothfuss do not mm. do not plan. They no. write, and then they don't They're finish. Just, yeah, they just, yeah, exactly. In Patrick <laughs> Rothfuss' case, I don't feel like it's a terrible loss. I'm sorry, name of the wind fans, but I just I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about Quoth. He's the worst. I've been um, reading a lot about uh, uh, ancient Greek Stoicism and secular Buddhism recently, which is, there's a lot about, you know, sort of just accepting reality as it is and not wanting it to be as, you know, in a different way. And I yeah. feel like a lot of, a lot of Patrick Rothfuss and sort of George R. R. Martin fans would uh, do well to kind of take that on board. It's, it's nice to remind yourself of that when you're frustrated over the fact that it's taken a you know a couple of decades for the latest book to come out. I see now it is what it is. The book will come when it comes. You're saying that Marcus Aurelius would be a Song of Ice and Fire fan. I don't I don't know about that, but he wouldn't be quite so pissed off about having to wait for the last book. Oh no, no, he would just be like, "Were you born?" into this life to read books and amuse yourself or were you bored to work <laughs> bitch come on yeah does this book being unpublished so far affect your ability to act with wisdom no well then it should not affect you <laughs> yeah I, I think you can basically summarize meditations in the sentence get off reddit and develop yourself yeah, that seems to be much. Marcus's vibe, and he's the 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 Stoic that I am most familiar with. And then I and now there were like OG yep. Greek Stoics that are like S tier, uh, and and Marcus is like a <laughs> plebeian Stoic that is for casual <laughs> casual philosophers. But yeah, you know, well, I don't care. I'm a casual. Well, we none of their writings have survived. So I mean, you know, we're just gonna have to listen to the Romans. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, tangents. Gonna... <laughs> this, is, this is the, the was... subplot of this podcast is various tangents that Fred and I yeah. go on. Yeah, that was probably the worst one yet. <laughs> it was a very pretentious <laughs> one, yeah. Yeah, just an obscure ancient Greek philosophy of life. But, you know, why else would you tune into a podcast where two oh. white men talk about their fantasy reads? <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> You need to, on some level, appreciate pretension if you listen to that kind of thing. Yeah. We're going to spare you and move on. <laughs> Speaking right. of clans, mm -hmm. Bram, the younger 
neglected brother of Robbie. Oh, yes. Bob, yes. Bobby, Bobby D, Bobby Dune is kind of coming into his own in this book, which, um, yeah. or in this half of the book, which I enjoy. I really liked his character arc in this half of the book, yeah. Yeah. It was very nice to see. He seems to be sort of the unacknowledged dry bread to Robbie Dune, which, you know, like, because mm-hmm. if, if Balo is the blood version of, of Robbie Dune, then Bran is his mm. dry bread. And he finally gets some recognition in this half from the chief of clan Castle Milk. Yep. After he finds out that his brother is giving her his sword as a gift. Yeah, cla- like class- classic and- Robbie, you know? Yeah, um. yeah. <laughs> Like the, uh, what kind of, what were these, what metal, these is were this, fancy it's swords. This, uh, water, water steel, I think they call it. Water this, steel, this yeah, dune, yeah, yeah. Dune steel, which is apparently yeah. super, super uh, sweet. Yes, which Bram was supposed to inherit and Robbie's been keeping it safe for him. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I was just, just giving just it away as a gift. Cool you know? stuff. Like, I know what's best for you, Bram. Stop, stop complaining. Yeah. I like reading uh, the sort of Bram perspective chapters because it just becomes so clear that like if Robbie invested any energy whatsoever into this guy, he would have his most like avid fan. Like he, he wants to love Robbie. He wants to worship Robbie and help him achieve all of his greatest dreams. But Robbie just keeps treating him like shit. And eventually he's like, Ah, this I'm tired of this guy's bullshit. Like he's he's sort of starting to kind of realize this guy's just not a very nice guy. <laughs> like he doesn't deserve any respect, really. Yeah, I mean, not only the most loyal supporter, but like probably the most competent one too. Yeah, or at least that's the way it's presented, right? Because he's very smart. We haven't learned a lot about his sort of martial skills yet, but he's very intelligent and knowledgeable. Yeah, and he he he. It's hinted that he's some sort of strategical mastermind as well, because when he inspects the, the fortifications and the structure of the buildings in the clan hold, uh-huh. he's like, "Oh yeah, this would be defensible if you put it on the other side of the river." <laughs> and Robbie's yeah. more like, "Haha, I am pretty. Uh, you will kill for me." <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I agree with you. These chapters are, from his perspective, are really enjoyable mm-hmm. to read. Because, yeah, obviously, Rami is like, you know, your standard hero hero figure, except he's realistic because he's also a supreme douchebag. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Bram is... Um, he's just a guy looking for some love mm-hmm. and appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that in the next book we'll see like because this castle milk, milk chief seems pretty savvy too, you know, like she seems like yeah, she's oh like yeah, we the, should we should we should mention that what happens here is that uh, Robbie ends up giving Bram as well as a gift, <laughs> right? To the as as milk one chief. does, you know, take yeah. take my brother. <laughs> well, actually, she demands 
She demands she, him. She, she demands him as a gift, but Robbie goes along with it without much hesitation. He's like, yeah, sure, take him. Yeah, he's like, oh, you want this <laughs> old thing? Yeah, I, I guess. Sure. I mean, <laughs> take it. Yeah, he's like, I made one hell of a bargain here. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah, and we should also add that. that the reason that this happens is mm-hmm. because Robbie is trying to get some uh, get yeah. some more cannon fodder for his uh, conquest or reconquest, yes. we should say, yeah. of Doom. He needs he needs soldiers, and Castlemilk has uh, soldiers. So I have a, a, a prediction about Bram. This oh. could turn out to be horribly incorrect, but like because it's pretty clear that the Castlemilk chief like understands his value and his competence. And that's one of the reasons why she wants to have him, I guess. I think that she's going to take him in and treat him really nice because she kind of realizes that he's not being treated very well by his brother. And so she's going to get him to feel loyalty to her and to Castle Oak and everything. And then she's going to help him overthrow Robbie so that he can end up being the Doom King in the end. I am, I'm, I am here for that. Like mm. I, I want, I want someone <laughs> to just take a huge fucking steaming dump on Robbie Doom's desk. That's yeah. what I want. And yeah. this Castle Milk uh, lady seems like she might just be the kind of person who could pull that off because mm-hmm. she's she's obviously all about soft power, right? She oh, yeah. she knows that um, Robbie is gonna win. And she is sort of, she has enough foresight to kind of align herself with the winner, mm. but also to kind of sow some dissent in his inner circle yeah. from the beginning, right? She's playing the long game. She realizes yeah. Robbie's going to get what he wants right now, but if I play this smart, I can set things up so that I can take him down later and kind of benefit from this whole situation. And this is the and, kind of yeah. fantasy that I love to read. Like this, yeah. this kind it's of nice. It's very nice. Maneuvering, mm, yeah. kiss. Mwah. Yeah, it's very nicely written. Because as a reader, you sort of realize, okay, Robbie is completely underestimating this person, and he doesn't understand what she's doing because she's using, like you said, soft skills and subtle manipulation, and all he really understands is kind of like brash charisma and rhetoric. And manipulate and sort of, you know, more. I don't know what you could well manipulation, but not the kind of subtle emotional manipulation that she's doing. Yeah, Robbie's like going all in with like a battering ram. Meanwhile, yeah. she's on the other side of the wall, like digging this tunnel slowly, <laughs> steadily. Like, yeah, it's good stuff. And I'm I'm really yeah. really looking forward to seeing where this kind of storyline is going. Because the dog lord is obviously fucked. He's 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 done. He yeah, is the let's only talk thing about. Whole... Oh yeah, cool. Let's talk about. Well, yeah, let's talk about what happens to the dog lord. Uh, you mentioned that. You mentioned in the summary that basically his one of his sons basically takes all of his able-bodied men and rides off into the sunset to fight the glorious war against the armies of the Star Lord. <laughs> yeah. Leaving the Dog Lord pretty much undefended in the Dune Hold. And understandably, that's a pretty shitty position to be in because Dune wants to get 
the clan hold back, which is exactly what Grobby's now doing. And they attack, and he basically doesn't have any men, and it looks basically like Blood's just yeah, all of the Blood's men who are in the Dune Hold are going to die, but they find their way down into the um, the the burial chamber. Yeah, yeah. And Angus Locke very cleverly at some point mentioned that there was a secret chamber somewhere down there, and they managed to find that secret chamber and sneak out. And after that, we don't know what happens. Yeah, like. Because the riddle is basically that there's there's a hidden passage that you can't see or something uh, along yeah. those lines that you cannot mm-hmm. see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's this statue of a dunesman without eyes. I mean, it's like super obvious, but, <laughs> but Velo's just like, oh, it's just a stupid riddle. It can't mean anything. And then this kid's like, oh, this, she doesn't have eyes. And like, oh, maybe that could be the source of this riddle, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, good job, Angus, for um, doing that. But yeah, I'm, I'm really... I don't see where where his story is going. I, I assume he's going to seek out dry bread, and um... he's going to he's going to seek out dry bread, and then he's going to go beat the living shit out of was it Pengo? Pengo, yeah, which <laughs> is <laughs> just the dumbest name I've ever heard. Yeah, it sounds Pengo. like some kind of clown from the fifties or something. Pengo yeah. the clown. No wonder the guy's got a bad attitude. Um, he's like, why did you give me this name, Dad? I'm going to undermine you at every opportunity I get. Is revenge. Yeah. By the way, should I go for tequila or cognac? Oh. Oh. Well, that looks like fancy tequila. The fanciest one I could find in the, mm-hmm. in the liquor store around the corner. I think I've tried that one, actually. Yes, it is quite nice. Yeah. I think so. It's got a nice kind of peppery uh, aftertaste. Go for it. Go for some tequila, man. Treat yourself. More ASMR for uh, <laughs> everyone. His chapter kind of finishes with him kind of being like, you know, like he's the few loyal men he has left kind of dying horrible deaths at the hands of the Dunesmen and he sort of vows that Pingo is going to pay for what he's done. And I have the right. feeling that he's actually going to make that happen. I feel like this does bring us closer to a prediction we made in the Fortress of Grey Ice. No, uh, mm. this one. <laughs> the Cavern I of mean, Black Ice. The Cavern of Black Ice. <laughs> uh, that, that dry bread is going to ultimately become the new Lord of, mm. of the Blood Clan. That would not surprise me at all. Because mm. I feel like I feel like uh, with this betrayal of his eldest son, Velo is going to realize because because Velo has always been about family, right? His whole motivation has been avenging his 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 dead family members, right? And now that he realizes that his closest family is betraying him, he's going to go. He's going to seek out Crybread. He's going to like formally adopt him or something like that, like mm-hmm. acknowledge mm-hmm. him as his successor or something because dry bread is the yeah. only one that has consistently remained loyal. And then 
he's going to form like a separate faction or something. That's yeah. What I feel is going to happen. I think so. Yeah. And then, yeah, definitely Drybread's going to take over and he is going to rally the blood forces against the end lords because he's part soul and he's going to oh, realize right, that. Right. You know, True. Uh, yeah. Hmm. He is part soul. It was a very interesting scene where Pengo is, he starts to sort of ride Drybread down on his horse. He's getting like, he's riding towards him, kind of feigning that he's going to sort of run him, run him down with his horse. And Velo has this moment where he realizes that Drybread could just kind of stop this horse, this horse in its tracks if he wants to. Like he, he realizes that, okay, this guy has some kind of power. And then he chooses to sort of step aside instead. And uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what Driver can actually do once he kind of allows himself to let loose a little bit. Yeah, Driver has kind of consistently been built up across these two books as <laughs> being like this, this powder keg that's just waiting to yeah explode and uh take mm-hmm. out some pent-up frustration on these nitwits <laughs> that are yeah. surrounding him and uh yeah i, I think because he obviously has some kind of he's got this this uh this code or something that that governs him mm-hmm. i feel and yeah it's gonna be um and we also see that the soul place like a lot of value in in blood even if it's only partial right because in one of ash's mm-hmm. chapters they ride through the so-called trench lands and yeah. the trench lenders themselves are not very like they don't their values don't really align with with soul values but the soul no. mention that they always defend them because they are of their blood and that kind of supersedes mm-hmm. everything so here we yeah. have someone that is like half soul, like that's a pretty yeah. substantial percentage of soul blood, which mm-hmm. they will obviously find very, you know, important to them. Yeah. Uh, so I think you're right in that he will be this link between clan mm-hmm. and soul in the battle to come. Yeah. 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 Do you think Drybread has a mullet? No, he has braids. <laughs> it's, it's mentioned. He has in, braids. Uh, yes. The the bloodsmen have braids. Mm-hmm. But they also have like half-shaved heads. Like the braids only start like at the top of their head and then they go. Yeah. Some type of real weird haircut going on. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I guess yeah, I think I think the, the blood I mean, you know, they're probably terrifying, but the way they're described sometimes is like that's a weird haircut he's got. That's kind of dumb. They're also seemingly the only clan with like a clan haircut, you know, like the, yeah. <laughs> it's mentioned several times that they have. That's the blood haircut. Like, yeah. as if, you know, like there was a big deal the other, like a few months back about Kim Jong, uh, Kim Jong Il's, like Kim Jong Un's haircut and how it's like, oh, like you're not, this. you're not allowed officially to have his haircut or something, but this is the opposite <laughs> where like, you have a clan mandated haircut and that's the blood haircut. Cause no other clan has that mm. as far as I'm aware. Clan uh, blood has braids. No. Clan oral has a cloak that you have to wear. Yeah. 
clan and black yeah. now has the the silver um wolf i think or something you, they have a silver silver threaded something that they that they wear and black yes. teeth for people who have hammers <laughs> yeah exactly uh, hammer men have black teeth to be scary and castle uh, milk has things made out of marble <laughs> yeah, yeah magic at marble. least i magic assume it's marble, marble because that's, that's i think it's i think it i think it's magic soul marble <laughs> oh yeah so, soul marble because that i, I, I know I i'm different from regular marble but i've never heard of marble that you can see through oh yeah they have that dome right in the in the they castle have that, yeah. like high grade milkstone or whatever the fuck they call it Mist, the mist stone or whatever, which you can actually right. see yeah, yeah, yeah. through. It's true. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, and then the dune, the dunes have like the blue tattoos. Oh which yeah, they have a tattoo. Which, which is pretty badass, honestly. Like I like that they just got blue tattoos all over them, like in their face and stuff as well. Yeah. It's pretty neat. I do like that. I also like that their emblem is a thistle. It's a very... Uh... <laughs> The Black Hills have wolves, right? That's their thing. I don't know if that's Black Hill or just... Um, or just Mace. Mace, yeah. It's kind of unclear to me. And in any case, thistles are like an emblem, are, are an emblem that, that um, mm. like compared to Spire Vanus, which has this, you know, cliche bird of prey mm. emblem. Yeah. And then, then these yeah. guys have a fucking thistle, you know, like, hey, we have a, mm-hmm. we have a weed <laughs> as our emblem. Yeah. It's very Scottish, though. Yeah, that's I mean, true. Thistles are, yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, so well, Dune, Dune has cool tattoos. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. And Scarps have a weaselly disposition. Nature. That's yeah. what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the sort of dynamics in the clan holds and particularly with clan blood and dune feel like they're going to be pretty central i mean i recognize this from other fantasy series and it's always equally efficient or effective of you know people are going to be they're going to get stuck up in this clan squabble and then you're going to have the clans versus the sir lord and the real threat, which is the end lords, everyone's going to kind of ignore until it's almost too late because, you know, they've got their petty human squabbles to deal with. And, yeah. It's a Battle of the Five Armies all over again. Yeah, yeah. Battle of the Five Clans. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, I think you're right. Um, it's, that's, that's what's going to happen. I, I don't see any other way of this going down. Then it's going to be, you know, human squabbles. People are yeah. going to realize that they need to stick together. Uh, <laughs> the soul are going to be like permanently phased out by the end, I assume. And maybe the maimed men will be accepted as clan for their contribution or something like that. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Some kind of major coming together anyway i don't think that's going to happen in the next book but maybe the one after that yes uh, yeah the the next book i guess is going to deal with i mean they're going to be more more minions of the end lords 
causing trouble, obviously. I feel like the next one is yeah. going to be city versus clan conflict. And, and meanwhile, shadow versus soul in the background or something like that. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how far back Brave has set the End Lords now <clears throat> after killing the the Shatan Mirror. It, I mean, I mean, because like... the the thing came out came out of the ground or whatever, uh, or not the ground, mm-hmm. but, you know, the the ether. So the damage yeah. has already been done. Right? It doesn't matter whether he dies immediately after coming out or not. He's. I didn't. Of I didn't. In, I didn't interpret it. I I didn't interpret it that way. As I understand it, the fact that he was able to kill it when it came out means that he prevented it from opening a bigger rift. Like okay, if he had otherwise, been there, the, the, it would the, have okay. It would have widened the gap and allowed everything else to get out. But since he was there, he was able to kind of take it down before it could do any more damage. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Okay. That's I, I mean, he can't so set it back to. Yeah, he can't close up the sort of you know little little gap that they accidentally made so they're still going to be seeping out but it's not going to be this sort of avalanche of shadow creatures yeah no i mean we still need it need a book right so you can't have (laughs) yeah we'll see i mean the focus might be more on just like the clan battles i honestly hope so because that's the most interesting bit it's yeah the sort of politicizing and all that kind of stuff i agree it's more interesting and learning about soul culture. Yeah, I, I do want to see more soul. I want to. I want to see like mm-hmm. where do these emos live? You know, that's, that's what I want to see. Oh yeah, while we're on the topic of end lords and black magic and all that, mm-hmm. uh, maybe we should talk about Crope and his daring jailbreak. Oh yeah, because I mean. Boralus, as as I think he's called the the guy mm. dude who's chained yep. up in ice jail, he's um, yeah. he's he's a powerful mage, right? And throughout the book, yes. he's been kind of getting weaker and almost you know wasting away completely. And yeah. but now, but now, Crope has busted him out, and I feel like Crope mm. has kind of fulfilled his his purpose now as a character. And and that maybe Boralus is gonna like suck out his life force or something to oh, revive okay. himself so that he can go on being a huh? uh, like a like a you know powerful sorcerer or whatever. Now that he's finally remembered who mm-hmm. he is and that he wants to live and all that, because I don't see why like what what Crope is gonna do. Maybe he's not gonna think... die. Like maybe he's gonna be weakened mm-hmm. or something. But I feel like this is a guy who's consistently been you know uh described as being very strong and full of like you know i guess power and, and physical yeah. energy and like maybe he's going to be possessed maybe that's mm-hmm. a, I don't know, something like that because i feel like that could yeah that could what's the point of all this insight into the existence of this chained up sorcerer dude if he's just going to be broken out only to die afterwards that doesn't make sense right no, Morales is definitely going to be a character who plays some kind of significant role in the rest of the story. I don't think he's necessarily strong enough to sort of, you know, suck the life force out of uh, Crope yet. So I, th- I think 
Crope is going to be around for a while yet, sort of protecting Morales as he recovers more from his ordeal. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has been thoroughly broken physically and mentally because in J.V. Jones's world, you can basically take a mage and if you completely break them down through severe torture, you can gain access to their power somehow. And that's what's been done to... I mean, like, he's just barely begun to... Like, he's just remembered his own name. <laughs> so I think he has a ways to go before he sort of kind of has any conscious access to his powers again. That's fair enough. Mm. Kind of like the Sauron situation where he's kind of, <laughs> you know, been reduced to the very bare bones spirit essence of his being and he's trying mm. to kind of rebuild his uh, his power yeah mm. if he does rebuild his power he's sort of like bound to the end lords because they gave him his name back so yeah it remains to be seen whether he becomes a villain or a hero i mean he might realize that he did a big bad and try to rectify that yeah but yeah we don't know that yet yeah, he's, he's a bit of a wild card oh. in this story. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much he can recover. Like, is he going to be able to fully recover from what's happened? Or is he always going to be kind of weakened by it? I don't know. He's been broken on, like, he was burned alive and then broken on the wheel and then tortured and then finally imprisoned, imprisoned in a cold, completely lightless cell for many, many, many years. Whilst being uh, feasted upon by weird, parasitical, burrowing blood flies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, good times. But, you know, (laughs) Crope got stabbed in the ass. So... um... (laughs) Yeah, not sure how Crope's going to be doing. I mean, he yeah, he got stabbed quite a lot. Yeah, it was. I I noted it because it was so specific. He got slashed like in the <laughs> ass and in the liver, which was too like it was yeah. just this very like <laughs> these very specific points. <laughs> the, li- the I mean, the liver stab in a way is more concerning than the ass stab. I mean, I, I realize getting stabbed in the ass is going to be pretty painful, but the liver. That feels like that would be more of a problem. Like, even for a giant, I feel like that's going to be an issue, right? Like, he has a punctured kidney. He has a kidney puncture, too? Or liver, sorry. Oh. Internal organs. I get them mixed up. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) I don't don't know. Maybe giants have two... I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, It it seemed like... Because she went out of her way to describe that he got stabbed in the liver. So Mm. I I assume that that's going to cause him some trouble later on yeah um, our our high school history slash philosophy teacher mr noonan did tell me once that he got stabbed in the ass while he was working at an orphanage and he's still walking around so i think the <laughs> ass stab is uh you know that's something you can overcome but the liver stab yeah. i don't know hmm. yeah no that feels like that's going to be more of a problem 
than they are stab. Uh, what's his move? I feel like the only thing he can do now is kind of go back to the creepy thief guy who helped him get in to the castle and be like, can you help me again? <laughs> yeah, I don't think he's going to help him again. Um, no. I feel like he's just going to get the hell out of Dodge and just uh, mm. carry his master out of there. Yeah. Um, Let's hope so. There was a very dramatic scene in breaking into that place. Yeah, it was very like Ocean's Ocean's One kind of. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about those chapters, to be honest. I like that he kind of figured out that the ring he got would help him in that thief bar. And I also like the fact that there's yeah. a thief bar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> a, a pub, I guess it is in this yeah. Thief pub, mm. Mm. but I guess they had to get him out of there somehow. Yeah, um, I think I need to learn more about this particular story arc to kind of talk about it. Yeah, but good yeah, for him to... that he got out of you know that he mm. got out of ice jail and he doesn't have to you know, get eaten alive by bugs anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, now we need to see where that ends up going, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's quite a cliffhanger, actually. Now that I think about it. Mm. Another cliffhanger is Effie's kidnapping. Oh, yeah. Was, I, I really enjoyed yeah. the Effie chapters in this book. Yeah, they were fun. Like, yeah, how she sort of start seeing the caravan as just kind of a rolling cave and she likes caves so it's nice to be in the caravan or the wagon despite but, the yeah, weird that... masturbating <laughs> uncles that <laughs> kind of hang around and tell her to yeah. stop whining yeah. and start working um, yeah. that, I'm, that I'm, I'm confused weird. about the inclusion of that in the in the narrative like <laughs> yes he was behind a rock doing man business and <laughs> Okay, uh, thanks, thanks, JV Jones, for that <laughs> that image. A uh, man's uh, gotta do what a man's gotta do, you know. As I'm sure all visual readers thought when they read that, when they read that <laughs> bit. I was sad that Cluis, the uh, badass senior bowman, uh, yeah. got his head chopped off or his arm chopped. Off. He got killed somehow. He he, he got killed, off. basically. Yeah, I mean that was a very interesting. So. She realizes they're about to get attacked. She manages to get Clueless to take her seriously. And he's like, okay, we're going to be attacked. And then he kind of sends her off to hide behind a rock. And then... Maybe it was the same rock uh, that the other guy was masturbating behind. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. Her law, she like uncovers another law power, I guess, because she was able to mentally see what was happening happening at the wagon, at the caravan, despite the fact that she was behind the rock. I mean, it makes sense because she can like, she has foresight. She can see the future. Yeah. And I, I can see how she'd be able, because I mean, how can you, I, I guess you can see the future without visualizing the events that will occur in the future, but it seems mm. like a weird way to see the future if you can actually kind of get these, flash forwards about what would what would happen yeah because i okay yeah no i see what you mean because 
it was kind of happening simultaneously. Right? She yeah, she would yeah. see it as it was going on, but yeah, is that actually what so happened, was... or is it more like she saw the whole thing and then it happened? I I think it was sort of as it was happening, she was able to kind of see it. Yeah, maybe it was like her reviewing the future that she had seen, right? So that she mm. she ran away. She's hiding behind mm. the rock, and then uh, because she knew what would happen mm. as she did that, she kind of used the sounds to kind of you know mm. tr- track how far that future had progressed. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, could be. Either way, they get killed by raiders, we think, but then we find out there was actually a party of doomsmen. Yeah. One of yeah. one of one of uh, Bobby D's um, closest, uh, yeah, cronies got himself stabbed <laughs> because <laughs> that uh, the, I, I keep forgetting his name, but basically I guess the the masturbating dudes uh, <laughs> activities have strengthened his his knife arm, you know, <laughs> and he manages to stab the guy pretty good to the point that he yeah. dies. Yeah, that was a pretty great scene. Clear Street yeah. just like shoots down a bunch of guys, and then the leader of the Dune party kind of comes along and like, I don't know, kills him, <laughs> and then he just runs out behind his back and like black hair <laughs> stabs him in the back. Like, yeah, <laughs> he goes down. He goes down pretty good. Yeah, but yeah, a sad moment. Um, which and then yeah, Robbie basically gains access to a fuck ton of gold. gold. Yeah. yeah, and Effie goes and moves in lives. with some ducks. Yeah, she moves in with a couple of ducks and has like a good time <laughs> before getting kidnapped. Yeah, so she hears a weird noise and she thinks to herself, maybe it's the people, Cluist and Mister Masturbator, that we're going to meet up with. <laughs> <laughs> before uh, over the actually, before we get into that bit, yeah. Lewis does mention that she has an ancestor who also had a stone lore and could also mm. see the future and do yeah. witchy things and like um, pump this. He doesn't. Guy he doesn't want steroids. to tell her first. Oh yeah, yeah. True. But then she kind of teases want... it out of him. Yeah, and she learns that. Yeah, exactly. One of her ancestors had the stone lore. Yeah, and another ancestor was able to use magic to kind of become super powerful. Wasn't it the for, stone lore ancestor who kind of gave him that power and then he went out and he oh. did his whole um, Arnold Schwarzenegger routine and then he came back and Maybe. he was old all of a sudden because she had basically like focused all of his life energy into that one moment yeah. in the battle. And yeah. Yeah. People were freaked out and that's why Clueless that was kind of not super thrilled about telling her about it. Cause... Yeah, yeah. This was when he was describing what a berserker was. Right, yeah. Because there's yeah. Scottish berserkers in this universe. Mm-hmm. Not just Vikings, Scottish people too. So yeah, we so know who... that the whole stone law magic thing kind of runs in the family. Yeah, I guess this is a hint that lores can be hereditary. 
which mm. was also hinted at before, right? Because all the Severance mm -hmm. bros were uh, were bears, except for Rafe, who was the odd yeah. one out. Yeah, maybe it's Rafe is raven. not actually, because that's also hinted at, right? Um, the the um, the eunuch in the maimed men mentions that mm -hmm. Rafe's name is based off something in his own language, which yeah. amounts to uh, yeah, Watcher of the Dead in, in whatever mm -hmm. language he's speaking. Which, yeah. combined with the, the lore... Mufasa. Was his name actually Mufasa? Or am I just no, no. It was definitely... God, God, I can't remember his name. F, F, <laughs> I think it was started with an E. Really? But yeah, so the, the, um, the combination of his name being foreign and his lore being different would suggest that he's not fully clan, right? That maybe yeah. his, mm -hmm. his mom was from somewhere else or... Mm -hmm. maybe maybe his mom his dad was not his dad mm -hmm. something like that yeah yeah there's uh, something about Rafe's past that we don't know yet which we're gonna presumably find out about at some point later in the series mm. but before we go too deep into that we were gonna start talking about mm -hmm. uh Effie's kidnapper, right? Yeah. So she hears these sounds and she thinks, oh, maybe these are the people who are going to buy the gold and I should go talk to them and tell them that they haven't been betrayed because, you know, that would be bad for Clovis's memory. And she kind of ventures out of her hiding place. She, uh, when she goes out, she basically sees this big, nasty army and she realizes that some crazy stuff's about to go down but then she gets kidnapped yeah and the big question is by whom and yeah I'm thinking the foreign mage dude in the main event oh maybe he seems to be very aware of the roles that these people are playing in the apocalypse it's pretty much confirmed right that he is uh he belongs to the phage yeah, the he, he says that the maimed men. When when Rafe asks about it, the guy says that he has had dealings with them. Yeah. So yeah, basically, um, he's he's a he's a phage phager phage boy. Um, yeah, yeah. But it could be someone else too. So I'm not sure. It's uh, yeah, it's pretty unclear uh, at this point. I mean, it could even be Angus Locke. Maybe these events are taking place after he's come home and realized oh, his yeah, family's dead. Do you think Angus is going to go full uh, Liam Neeson? On uh, I think so. Going to track down Maggie Maggie Crouch, and uh, I assume he's going to know that it was, you know. I think uh, I th I still think Maggie Crouch is dead. I think she got you know, burned pretty badly and then, you know, got her throat cut by his daughter. And I think he's going to find his daughter at some point. They're going to be, he's going to think his whole family is dead, but then, no, it's going to turn out, no, your daughter's still alive. Yeah, she avenged I mean, your family yeah. already, you know? I don't think she's dead. I think her hands are like messed up and she's probably pretty pissed about that. And I think she's going to go after the last, uh, the last daughter because of, you know, the contract for one thing and also... You ruined my hands. So I'm gonna kill you. I'm not sure how he's gonna kill her, but yeah, that could also happen. Yeah, and hands, then Angus but... Angus manages to find his daughter just before Maggie Crouch does, and he 
yeah, defends her while also avenging his family. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, Panthera was the guy who, like, ordered the assassination of his family, right? So he yeah, can't but he's really dead. avenge so. them fully. Yeah. It seems to me like the, the big showdown is going to... Because I feel like a- Angus and Saga Vase are, like, the, the showdown couple for the for the fade storyline if there is one yeah i am yeah i i do like angus's yeah. chapter and i'm chapters and i'm looking forward to seeing how he uh moves on from you know learning about his family's death i think we're gonna have some pretty bleak chapters with him being you know <laughs> well I, I i expect as much with his situation being what it is yeah, we'll just have to read on and find out. Yeah, because I feel like he's kind of fulfilled his bargain with the Dog Lord now, right? Because he gave mm-hmm. him information, then the Dog yeah. Lord kind of lost his position and has no real bargaining mm-hmm. chips anymore, and Angus has better things to worry about, so they're going their separate ways. And yeah. Angus I mean... is free to kind of pursue his own in its own interests again. Yeah, he's a free agent, except, you know, the fact that he belongs to the phage and presumably has to act according to their plans. Even though we still know nothing about them, but yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I assume they're going to come into, you know, the spotlight more in the next book because we've gotten mm. to a point where the thing that they're supposed to be preventing is this kind of seems to be kind of happening right now. <laughs> and what's their role when it happens? Yeah, I feel like they're they try support, to... supposed to support the soul in their battle against the apocalypse yeah. somehow. I hope so. Do you think Panthero peed himself when he died? Well, no, because he wasn't using, well, maybe he did. Because he, he can still use a little bit of magic on his own. He just can't do much. I bet it wasn't a pleasant experience. Now having a blunt object shoved through your <laughs> chest is probably not the no. best, best and sensation. They're getting, and they're getting chucked off a ledge. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah good riddance to put there. He was, he was annoying. He was, yeah. He wasn't a particularly fun character. We did talk about uh, Rafe's final battle, but we didn't really talk about his cathartic moment in the mines where he decides to put an end to his very brief membership in the main demand. Yeah. So he ends up killing one of his buddies. Which we... It kind of shows up pretty randomly. Like, yeah, it's this kind of side character of a side character who we... I mean, it is mentioned that Orwin Shank only has one son left after mm-hmm. the clan wars, and then Rafe kills that son, yeah. I guess, which is... That's going to be a be... problem at some point. Yeah. But yeah, he just kind of shows up in like full armor. I guess he's been sent to guard the silver mines yeah i mean if he's there then there are other black hell people there as well oh yeah for sure and then rave yeah well well, i mean that he has this he has this moment where he realizes that he did shoot someone from black hell before they 
went in, right? Because I mean, they're, they're all Black Hill, right? Because they're on Black Hill land. Yeah. Mining. Yeah, exactly. Black Hills resources. They're just not clan clan. They're one of those. Yeah. Uh, uh, what do they call them? Because there's like, yeah, yeah, they're, they're crofters mm. and then they're like a bunch of other people who don't actually live in the clan hold itself, but live on clan oh. lands and provide the clan hold with various resources. resources. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But these guys were clan clan. Yeah. And yeah, yeah somehow Rafe manages to not be as terrible a swordsman as he usually is and stabs the guy. <laughs> yeah. He's very guilty about it, even though yeah. I guess the audience is like, who is that again? <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting scene. I mean, because when the guy shows up, he's like, oh, I, uh, I thought it was you, but I didn't want to think that you would stoop so low as to become a main man. And I kind of like, if you can, if you just like, exile someone from your clan can you really blame them for going and like joining all the other exiles yeah it's like hey i didn't want to kill a bunch of non-combatants in that raid <laughs> so i'm gonna leave because you guys don't want me anymore but i have no way to make a living unless i yeah join these other people who are yeah mm. i mean it doesn't make sense, but honor culture rarely makes sense, right? Yeah, true. True. But what I'm yeah, actually but... really curious about is, you know, is this, I, I assume this is the end of Rafe's maimed men affiliation. Mm-hmm. Because it's not like he can go back after running off like that. No, no. Oh, definitely not. No. Because I mean, shank him. Uh, but Stillborn, yeah. I feel, has been, you know, built up enough as a character that he's gonna have a role to play in the coming books. I I could see Rafe at some point playing the role of being the link between the maimed men and the clan holds, and being like, "Hey, we need to like deal with the end lords right now." So why don't you join us and we'll go, you know, handle that situation together. Kind of like yeah, Jon Snow with the wildlings, that kind of situation. Yeah. Because in the last, uh, in, our, in our episode on the last, on, on the first book in the series, rather, mm-hmm. we discussed how Rafe would maybe take control of the main men as their new leader. Yeah, but I have a hard time seeing that happening now. Yeah, no, I don't think so. But he will be the guy who kind of gets them to take part in the battle against evil. Yeah, when we get to that point, I think. Yeah, we have a few loose threads here that are kind of waiting to be tied up with each other. I feel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but all in all, I mean, it was a pretty solid entry into the series we mm-hmm. you know we, we didn't spend as much time establishing the world so we could focus more on actually advancing storylines which i like yeah there weren't as many like super evident tropes in this one i felt like in the mm-hmm. first one I, I noticed a lot of there was a lot of talk about 
messenger ravens that could talk and um, mm. that kind of stuff. But here it was more like we're committed now. We're going to focus on all the intrigue that was created by the first one. So I think it, yeah. it, it builds really well off the foundations that the first book kind of laid down for us, which mm -hmm. I appreciate. Yeah, I agree. And definitely sets a lot of interesting plots up for the next book. Yeah. What's Rafe going to do now? Mm -hmm. Kill more shadow things that are coming out? Like, yeah, his is the most like unclear character arc at this point. Like, what what does he do next? Does he just keep wandering? Like, where does he go? What does he do? Everyone else has some kind of direction, but Rafe is just kind of done. Like, he's killed the Shatan Mare, and now he's forsaken the another does... family that he had. Yeah, like, what the fuck does he have? Well, I guess looking for Ash is pretty much his only option, huh? Yeah, that seems to be his identity, really. Uh, yeah. I am the, the guy who follows Ash around. That's kind of his, <laughs> his thing. Yeah. Yeah, so we'll see how that goes. But, um, yeah, looking forward to getting stuck into that. So, dear listeners, final verdict, good book. Minimal <laughs> yeah. masturbation in this one mm -hmm. lots yeah. of murder a lot of murder some political intrigue which i hope we'll see more of pretty sure we will yeah good stuff recommended read the damn thing actually if you're listening to mm -hmm. this you probably read it and you just want to hear yeah exactly uh the thoughts of new readers and i hope you mm -hmm. enjoyed them and yeah. our ludicrous predictions for the coming books <laughs> hopefully we got something right and this was at least marginally interesting yeah in summary Ruth has a mullet blood <laughs> has braids panthera definitely peed himself again and oh yeah um last last episode we did have a discussion surrounding the preferred beverage in this universe Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you, Fred, ended up in the shark juice camp. The what camp? The shark juice, the shark skin. Oh, yeah, yeah. The shark mm -hmm. skin juice camp. Yeah. Whereas I was willing to give warm ale with eggs and oats. <laughs> try. Oh, no, no, no. You were for blood. You were for horse blood. Oh, yeah, yeah. Horse blood, definitely. Horse blood. Yeah, any, nice, nice. any day of the week. Warm, salty horse blood. Um, oh, yeah. Give me a cup of fresh blood any day. <laughs> uh, I feel like we do at some point, we do at some point need to try making some warm ale <laughs> thickened with oats and egg. <laughs> oh God. I have to say like English ale brands are really hard to get a hold of here. Oh, okay. I haven't even like, because I feel like the most popular brand that I saw in Sweden was Newcastle, mm. but no one has heard of that here. So, mm. I guess they have Guinness. No, that's Irish. That's, that's Irish, yeah. Yeah. Mm. I don't buy ale that much. I probably should have some soon. That's because ale is just kind of flat beer. 
right? I mean, what's the what's what the appeal, you? really? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, it's, you know, it's the, it's the OG. It just feels like, a, you know, I, I forgot to drink my beer after I opened it kind of <laughs> situation. Uh, yeah, maybe. I haven't had ale in ages. I, I don't feel like I can defend it right now. <laughs> okay, for next episode, maybe we try to get our hands on some ale and mm-hmm. we, we drink it to enhance the immersion while talking about these, these books. That I'll, sounds I'll good see what to I me. can find. Mm-hmm. I'll see what I can get my hands on. Nice. All right. Uh, All right. In this episode, and uh, as always, you can email us your thoughts, feedback, requests, death threats at <laughs> alphaparkradio at gmail.com. Yes. Let us know. If you have any suggestions on uh, other books we should read, till then, uh, I guess we'll see you in the next uh, next episode. Hmm? Toodaloo. Bye bye.